0: is The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT.
1: Another Steve Miller song produced by Anthony. We are back on The Morning Drive. Steve Miller, Ben, Steve Miller's birthday today, 80 years old, so Anthony's digging them out. Yeah, why not? Freshen it up a little bit. And now, what a great show. We get to follow up an hour with Dave Zuckerman, and whether you agree or disagree with him, it was a, it was a good discussion and a lively hour. Yep. And now... We've got the Chief of Police of Burlington, Chief John Mirad. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank
2: you so much for having me. I always love coming here. Um, I cannot promise to produce as lively an hour <laughs> as you just had with the Lieutenant Governor. I thought that was a terrific hour. Um, I uh, always like hearing from the Lieutenant Governor. He was actually in a, in a Spanish class
0: with my mom, so uh, it's he, a
2: relationship that goes back a while. He just told <laughs> yeah. us
0: that. He yeah. had just told us that, so... Yeah and his uh his freshman roommate at UVM's name was Steve Miller. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we learned some stuff today. You always learn something different, you know?
1: So chief uh before we get into a lot of issues to talk about uh have you, I hope you've had some time to, one of the last times I saw you a few times back, here on the bike path. It was good to see you out and enjoying <laughs> uh great summer weather. Have you had a little time to relax and have a little bit of time off and get away?
2: Sure. Uh, it's been uh, a, it's been a busy uh, summer, busy early autumn. Um, but uh, it's, I've had some time as well uh, and have been able to, you know, enjoy everything that uh, Vermont and Burlington has to offer. We went on a we went down to the Morgan Horse Farm a couple weekends ago and, you know, picked up a creamy in Waitsfield at the Canteen Creamy and that kind of thing. So trying to get
1: out. I mean, you get, you have a very, you know, an important and but very difficult job at times. So don't you think it's important to, get away from it once in a while? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't think anybody just can... Just like with any <laughs> of your police officers. You I, too. They too. Absolutely. I think one of the great
2: things about the the uh, new generation of uh, officers is that a lot of them actually do draw very bright lines between their work and their play, as it were. Uh, you know, there have been past generations who have been very, very overtime oriented. They've all been about sort of getting that. But uh, today's generation of officers, often um, they their, their time off is just just as important as the time on. And so one of the things that's kept our officers uh, satisfied is is our schedule, which does provide for a three day off period. So it's four days of work and three days off and four days of work. And that three day weekend, as it were, um, is something that is really valuable to them. It keeps them sharp uh, so that they can come back and and do the work that they do so well uh,
1: with focus and uh, the necessary amounts of of passion. Now, Chief, I got to ask you to start out with here last Thursday, uh, your boss, as it were, uh, the guy who put your name forward, uh, put your name forward multiple times till we finally got the council to approve you, as they should have in, in the beginning, in my opinion. But uh, he announced on Thursday that he is not running for reelection. We'll have Mayor Weinberger for almost six more months, but he's not seeking re-election in March. Um, I just want to get your general thoughts on that to begin with. Well,
2: uh, you know, I don't, I don't think of it as it, I don't think of him being my boss as it were at all. He's my boss. Uh, and I (laughs) am tremendously grateful for the support that Mayor Weinberg has shown over the years, uh, both to me, but also more importantly to the police department and the men and women in the police department. Um, you know, after that announcement, uh, I, I sent out a, a message internally that, that noted, um, that it is, uh, That we we're facing a lot of challenges. There's there's things that we have faced, there's things we're still in the process of facing. We never know what's going to come, but we do know things will continue to to put up their head and we will have to address them when they come. But as we face those challenges, it's good to know that the mayor has been has cared for and supported the Burlington Police Department. Uh, he opposed the decision to reduce headcount through attrition, and he worked tirelessly to reverse that decision. He led the campaign against Proposition 7. Working with the BPOA, he signed one of the best contracts that the BPD has ever had uh, with the best compensation in the region. And And when officers faced a resisting suspect at Church Street in Maine last uh, August and used lawful force, he said this, when the police are acting within policy, within their training, when they need to act to enforce our laws that we need in- forced, sometimes they are going to need to use force. And I think we need to accept that using force is a part of their job and that's what I saw there. I think they did what they needed to do. And at the same time, he's also encouraged our compassion and facilitated our continued improvement and our participation in the rules that make 21st Century Policing possible. Um, and uh, pillars like like ICAT, our uh, Integrated Communications Assessment Tactics training that we pioneered in Burlington along with the Police Executive Research Forum, uh, it's it, you know, he has been a, an incredible partner, um, and I am uh, grateful for, for all that he's done for the Burlington Police Department. And as a voter and citizen in Burlington, I'm grateful for what he's done for the city, too.
1: And, Chief, what you just read from, that's, a, that's something that you put out to the department? To that was all your an officers?
2: email to, the, to all of the police, uh, the, the police employees. So it's our whole team.
1: Oh, we don't. Okay, I thought we had a call. Sorry.
0: The McKenzie Country Classic hotline's open, though. 888 414 0303. If you got a question for the chief, uh, give us a call. Now, Chief, let me
1: just go just a little bit further with that before we get into some other issues. We had a caller call in this show who was urging the mayor to seek reelection and also <laughs> talked about, uh, and one of the reasons he and I think another caller as well said was look, you need to, we want to make sure that the chief stays on the job. He just got the permanent job recently. Stability is so important for the police department. We don't want to take the chance that there's a new mayor that wants to get a new chief and that we have to go off in a whole different direction. How? What type of position? I mean, I know you have to be careful with this. I totally understand this. So I'm not, I'm not looking for you to uh, endorse a candidate for mayor. Don't get me wrong here. <laughs> Uh, But I won't. But (laughs) I I get that. But as you enter into this period where there's going to be a new mayor, um, does it weigh on you the thought that there could be a mayor who wants to go in a complete different direction than Mayor Weinberger was in regard to policing and could want a new police chief?
2: Uh, you know, no, it doesn't. I, I think that that is, uh, the system in which we, we live and work. Uh, it's the system to which I've dedicated my professional career. Um, and it is, uh, up to the voters. I think that there are, uh, you know, there are, are, st- These are these are how we how we run a city and how we we run, you know, any part of democracy. Um, There have in the past been uh, positions that, you know, sort of are somewhat isolated from uh, the, the top executive position. Uh, but I don't necessarily. I think that unless that's codified for for reasons that that the the voting uh, populace has actually agreed upon and then made a decision about, I, I don't think that it's necessary. Uh, you know, the FBI director is one example, right? The FBI director usually has terms that are are separate from the presidency, and and there's a, a reason for that. But the attorney general is not. Um and so there are uh arguments on both sides. I uh, I want to continue to serve the city of Burlington. I I live in the city of Burlington. My kids go to school in the city of Burlington. My my wonderful wife uh and uh, you know we have a home that we love uh and I am glad to be back in the city of my birth. Um but what comes will come, and I, you know, only want what's best for the Burlington Police Department, the men and women inside it, and the community they serve.
1: And you have a golden retriever dog too, don't you?
2: She's she no, she's a uh, black oh. lab thing. She's a mutt, she's <laughs> so uh, a wonderful mutt from from down south. We got her at the beginning of the of the pandemic. Let's go to the phones. Good morning.
0: You're live on the Morning Drive.
3: Yeah. Hi. Good morning, Chief. I'm glad you're on the call today. I I manage a team of. Uh, 25 people in downtown Burlington, and, and our lease is up next summer, and my my staff is very concerned about safety down here. I personally was 50 feet from a shooting this summer walking to City Market at the Simons um, earlier this year. It was something you could see coming, but there was nothing you could do about it, and it happened. Unfortunately, no one was hurt, but what what is the police department, what's the city doing to, what can you tell me to help make my staff feel better about staying and working in downtown burlington
2: wow that's a terrific question and i'm i'm sorry that you experienced that we did make an arrest off of that uh... the detectives were able very quickly to to find our suspect from that incident nobody was struck in that incident but uh, it's it's awful and anytime bullets fly in the city, there's the possibility people may be hurt, which is why we take it so seriously. Um, uh, You know, I just had a a conversation very much like this with a a very close friend of mine from high school, uh, tremendous, tremendous athlete and and great uh, attorney now in Burlington. Um, We had lunch and, and he was telling me the same thing about his firm and, you know, what people there are experiencing and what they're thinking about. Uh, and I know that it 's being discussed in other parts of the city as well. Uh, we are facing some tough times in Burlington. Uh, what are we the police department doing we 're growing we are doing our best to regrow the the decision that was made three years ago to reduce the police department uh, through attrition uh, you know as I mentioned just before in, in uh, talking about the fact that the mayor opposed that that was a, a very detrimental decision to our public safety posture in the city. We simply don 't have enough police officers to be doing what We need to do at the same time as many of the problems that police are a part of dealing uh, with. Are rising, So we have more people who are unhoused in Burlington than ever before. Being homeless is not a crime. Being houseless is not a crime. But it brings with it conditions that oftentimes do require police intervention. And people who are houseless are are more prone to committing some of those conditions, whether they're low-level public order offenses or small property crimes, etc. Um, and so in, in addressing that, it's got to be a holistic approach with lots of different resources, including the social service resources that we at the Police Department are building through our community support liaisons but also you gotta have cops you gotta have cops to deal with people who are causing public order issues who are committing low level crime and and gosh who are committing violent crime as well like the, the gunfire that you uh, described we don't have enough cops uh, and, and people know that now people recognize that now they've given us the tools to rebuild uh, the challenge now is, is actually using those tools which is that terrific contract I mentioned which are you know abilities to try to, to get our name. Out there um, and attract new candidates, but to find those candidates, it is a challenging time for every single hiring sector across the economy uh, and police are no exception to that and in fact may be in a position that's a little bit worse than other entities uh, partly because of, you know, uh, challenges police have had with regard to public narrative over the past three years. I think we're breaking through that. We are on an uptick. Uh, We used to be a 105-person agency that routinely had a headcount in the high 90s. We were then changed to a 74-person police department overnight uh, and then the headcount itself dropped down below that number into the we hit 60 I believe at our lowest we're currently at 69 uh, as of the my last chief's report in September um, we're at 69 we are continuing to try to build we're also building other resources like community service officers and community support liaisons those are in-house social workers but the fact is that the the problems around us particularly around drugs and houselessness are, are more uh, pressing than they've been in a long time and we're doing what we can i urge people in burlington like yourself to hold on because there are better days around the corner uh there is a a future ahead in which burlington is strong and good again and then you will want to be part of that city because it is a wonderful city and a beautiful place and it's the most vibrant
1: central community in the entire state uh i gotta follow up to that chief but i'm on. to there's a bunch of calls
0: coming in so i'm gonna defer yeah. the calls let's go to the phones good morning <coughs> you're live on the morning drive
3: Yes, thanks for taking my call. I have an interesting question to ask. Yesterday, I think it was on my way to work. I saw in Battery Park, um, an officer uh, looked like he was being photographed with a canine dog. And first off, I just want to thank all the officers. Anytime I call, no matter what it is, they do their best to solve the problem. But I'm wondering, did we just get another canine uh, dog added to the force because I think that's great, but people were taking a picture of this officer with his dog, and I was just curious what that was all about. Thank y- you.
2: Thank you, and yes, we did. We just added a new canine. We have, uh, by contract, we have two canine officer slots. Uh, we've only had one canine officer for the past two uh, about, I think, a year and a half. And we just found a new young dog and selected a new officer, Tyler Kalig, to be our next canine officer. He's training with Canine Max, a uh, really smart, uh, alert puppy who's who's delightful to have around the police department. We also have a, uh, a therapy dog at the police department, a dog that we actually adopted after it was abandoned by two people who were going through a lot of issues around houselessness and substance use disorder. Uh, and that dog belongs to one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry for that. Uh, that dog belongs one, to one of our community support liaisons and, and acts as a therapy
0: and outreach dog. So we've got a total of three dogs on the team. Very <coughs> cool. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive.
3: <coughs> Good morning. Um, you were talking about housing being difficult, and it seems like it might be difficult to recruit officers if they don't have a place to live, and and some officers might even have to be recruited from out of town. Are you looking out of town or and another idea would be maybe if there's a housing issue for police officers to have a a community built somewhere for officers to live and raise their families.
2: Yeah, thanks for that terrific question and that insight. Yes, uh, housing is a challenge. Um, We absolutely are looking outside. We look everywhere for police officers. I just brought aboard in September two lateral police officers, one from Virginia. She came here with her wife, who is studying at the University of Vermont in a graduate program. So she was a a long-term officer in Virginia, has a a good deal of pre-certified experience down there. Awesome. We brought in an officer from Texas uh, who is, is coming up here from Texas with his wife. He, too pre-certified officer who already has been a police officer. Bringing people like that in with, with existing experience is an integral part of our rebuilding plan. Uh, and they both came from far away. Finding housing was was a challenge for both of them. That has been a challenge for officers that we bring in as brand new officers who are, are recruit officers and have to go through the Vermont Police Academy as well. Uh, what do we do about it? Well, uh, you know, housing is, is a challenge in Burlington. It's one thing I think that uh, that is a part of Mayor Weinberger's legacy to to increase housing. It's something that we need to continue to really work on. You know, uh, nobody won the lottery last night. If if I pull that down when it next draws, I will build some additional housing for police officers in Burlington. Let's go to the phones.
0: Good morning. You're live on the morning drive.
3: Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I took interest in the chief saying that we, we need more police officers and all this. I think what we really need is to get rid of some of the gutless judges in States' attorneys that you know the police department is doing their investigations. They're charging these people, and uh, they're getting dismissed by the courts. Uh, that that system's got to change. Thank you,
1: Chief. Let me ask it to you this way: What the caller saying? Um, we had uh Doug DeSabato, Grand Isle State's attorney, on the show the other day, and uh, he has made a public statement about the a judge's decision. With a case involving somebody who has repeatedly been selling fentanyl on the streets um, and he 's criticized the judge 's decision, which basically gave him probation I know it 's a tough tough to pull you into a, uh, something about judges, the judicial system, or whatever, but doesn 't that really undercut people 's confidence in the judicial system and and create more problems when we when we, when a judge gives a, somebody who's been dealing fentanyl just probation?
2: Yeah, I think the, the challenge here is that it is uh, it's a huge system and, and even individual decisions by a specific judge or a specific state's attorney or a specific attorney general or a specific officer, for that matter, are often made in the context of this this big system. And the system in general does not want to imprison people. Vermont's system wants to be as uh, it wants the least intrusive posture possible. Uh, it wants uh, to jail people as infrequently as possible and imprison them even less than that. And I'm drawing their distinction between jail being something that is generally pre-conviction and prison being something that is afterwards. Um, we don't like imprisoning people in in Vermont and until our communities step up and say you know what we we do want that for this or for that or for another different kind of condition or crime uh we're not going to see a big change and even when we have decisions individual or specific decisions that seem problematic uh oftentimes if you drill into them the person who who appears to have made that decision is actually sort of following the system and what the system's guidances are. Now, that is not to say that individuals' philosophy about, you know, I really believe that we should not be dealing with uh, people who have low-level substance use disorder as criminals. I really believe that people who have mental health issues should be treated rather than jailed. That doesn't mean that those philosophies don't also influence these moments. But a lot of times it comes back to the system.
1: Chief, i got to ask you this question. We had Rachel Siegel on the show recently, a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure you know, she was at the city council meeting. There was a big issue, famous picture now for holding her hand over someone's microphone. The gentleman that was speaking then, it kind of created a chaotic situation. He, Whether you liked what he was saying or not, he was speaking in, at least speaking in a reasonable voice until that point where then he sort of lost it after she covered his microphone up. When she was on the show, she indicated that she understood there were free speech issues, but she said... But I was concerned, my folks that I was with were very upset with what what he was saying, and I looked over and saw the chief of police in the room, and she said, and he had his hand on his hip, like near his holster. And then we went off to something else, and I came back and I said, I need to clarify, Rachel, are you suggesting that you were concerned that the chief was going to shoot someone, saying that his hand was near his holster? And she said, simply, I was very afraid. What, what? How do you react to hearing that?
2: Well, uh, I certainly think that that's an absurd contention, uh, that anything of that magnitude was going to happen in that moment uh, of that magnitude of, of force. Um, I think that it is indicative of, of somebody who's not entirely reasonable on those kinds of issues. I think that the only actual unlawful act that occurred in the room that night was the interruption of a person who was in the midst of making a statement. uh, And that was, uh, by definition, a form of disorderly conduct, uh, that kind of disruption. Um, I think that attempting to address it in that moment would have been more escalatory and inflammatory than it would have been helpful. Um, and, uh, that was a, certainly something that, that I took into consideration in that moment. And by that, I mean Ms. Siegel's action, not, uh, the action of the person speaking whose words are unpleasant and who routinely makes comments, uh, that, that people don't necessarily like to hear. But that is a component of, uh, again, you know, that same system that I praised early on when I talked about what happens this coming March will happen this coming March. Right. Uh, we have a system in which, is speech, excuse me. Speech is free. It's free from prior restraint. You can, you know, impose conditions upon speech after it occurs when it meets certain thresholds.
1: Um, that wasn't what was happening no. in the space. Do you think that there needs to be a police presence at city council meetings regularly? Um, that situation could have devolved into real. I mean, it was getting pretty close to it. But we also had a situation that Anthony played the clip of uh, at the next meeting, where an individual got up. Um, became enraged at the city council, left the table speaking where she was and approached the council and was screaming bloody murder at the council. And I think there was some fear. I think those of us watching were like, what's going to happen here? Does there need to be a police presence at city council meetings? You know, things happen these days across, across the country, and you never know. So, um, you know, a
2: police presence, uh, I, when, when I have, uh, four officers on a shift, uh, I, I do not have an officer to sit at, uh, every Monday city council meeting or, or those others. Good point. Um, so, uh, I, you know, that's a decision that I think ultimately is the decision of the city council itself, uh, but more specifically the city council president to to make a determination about whether or not they want to to change the ways uh, that, that people have public comment and what can and can't occur in that moment. I, I think that there have been a couple incidents recently in which people uh, moved past the area where public comment occurs, where people sit to speak. Um, and instead approached, uh, various people who, who were there for the meeting. The, the mayor, the city attorney, the, uh, usually it's the CAO, and of course our city councilors. And that's improper. It's, it's not conducive to good governance. It's not conducive to people getting what's, you know, getting the, the job of the people done. Um, and I think that the ways in which to address that or resolve it ultimately have to come from the council itself.
1: We've got to hit a break, but you don't want to have a situation, right, where the city council literally feels unsafe. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But the city council has in itself the tools to address
0: how it feels, whether that is unsafe or not. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. We've got the uh, forecast. It's warm. And we'll be back with Chief uh Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620 WVMT.
1: Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And we have in studio Burlington Police Chief John Murad. If you have a question for the chief. Give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classica hotline, 888 303 And Chief, I want to ask you, and we know last March, the question number seven, that was uh, the, the disciplinary, citizen disciplinary committee or department, uh, whatever you want to call it, was soundly rejected, really almost overwhelmingly rejected by the voters in Burlington. Now there's another move to put another ballot item, another charter change on the ballot next March that's being discussed. And there seems to be a real disagreement between factions on the city council what are you do you have concerns about the direction this question might go
2: uh sure i absolutely i you know i i think that the decision the voters made over prop seven was the right one um i think that it had to do with the extremity of that uh proposal um and i think that the the fact of the matter is that you know the the number of f- folks uh... around this debate who are on the really extreme side of saying that we should abolish policing and and also jails et cetera is very small and the number of folks who are on the other extreme side of saying you know everything's perfect i don't think we need to change anything is is also small um, so we're always seeking the opportunity to improve uh, with regard to anything that the Burlington Police Department does and in, in how it serves its neighbors um, and that includes uh, working with the civilians that are and I don't care for this term civilian actually, I, it, with the neighbors who are, are, you know, incredibly important in guiding and shaping the department, specifically our police commission, right? Our, our independent police commission, they are appointed by the city council, um, they they are uh, they are are separate from the police department. They no longer meet in the police department. They meet at City Hall. We share every single citizen complaint with them. We share every single use of force with them, and with the public, uh, we make every single use of force public. Um, we uh, they can watch video when there is uh, a cause to do so, and and uh, you know not a random sampling, but like I, I, this case, I, I'd like to look into this. They uh, approve every single directive that we create. As a police department, and I, I can't promulgate a new directive until it is approved by the police commission. Um, I think that we have a really strong working relationship, uh, and I think that the new the commission has had some some differences of opinion with the police department over the last couple of years. A lot of those differences are are starting to be worked out. Um, we have some new police commissioners. I really admire the leadership of co chairs Commissioner Rao and uh, and uh, Commissioner Cox um, and. You know, I'm hopeful that we will be able to sort of work with that. I don't know what's in these other recommendations yet. I haven't seen the two sort of dueling proposals but that have been Some are, uh, of it is produced.
1: to f- further empower the police commission. And uh, is there a concern that you have of some of the additional uh, duties they want to give to the police commission? That It sounds like some of them might take uh, away some of your authority for disciplinary action.
2: Well, I think that my authority for disciplinary action, and it's not mine; it's the chief's. The chief of police, uh, as the authority for disciplinary action, is encoded in the charter. So, we'll see what what an ordinance or a resolution can do uh, to affect that. The ultimate decision is still going to belong to the chief of police, unless there is a charter change, which is a much more, you know, a much more prolonged and and difficult mechanism uh, to create charter change. I think there's a reason for having chiefs of police uh, have disciplinary authority over the police departments that they lead. Um, I think it has to do with with a number of things. Most importantly, the the idea that there is a, a clear chain of command and a hierarchy, but there has to be insight and input from other entities as well. I give every single uh, you know, use force to the, to the mayor as well. I, I weigh in with the mayor. I weigh in with the Human Resources Department of the city of Burlington. I weigh in with the city attorney. And I also weigh in with the police commission on, on uh, n- all these kinds of issues. So the notion that it's just sort of sitting in one person who has some sort
0: of autocratic total authority is erroneous. So when these proposals are vetted out further, you'll keep us informed as to your thoughts. Absolutely. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on The Morning Drive.
3: Thanks for taking my call this morning. I wanted to um, just uh, make a make a comment. Um, I saw, and thanks for being on the show today, Chief. I saw a disparaging uh, banner that was flying on South Union Street the other day, and it said, "Strong communities make police obsolete." And and I just you know I thought about that for a second, and it was just like the most stupid thing I have ever heard and, and read before. And I just wanted to I wanted to make a comment to say. That I hope that when your officers drive by, such a stupid comment. I hope that they know and realize that there's still people in the city of Burlington that appreciate what you do, appreciate what all the officers do for Burlington, and 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 we really hope that that you can bring this Burlington back to the people. Um, it, you know, especially the the business owners downtown, and because we know they're all suffering, and 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 we know that they're all about to leave. Um, but I just wanted to uh, say that, and, and 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 thank you for every everything that you guys do. Thank you for taking my call,
1: Chief. Just to follow up on that, I think that the way I'd ask this is: Do officers, and I know I talked to a lot of officers, and you know better than me, of course. But Doc, uh, back, back there in the height of what was going on a few years ago, the the resolution by the council and all the other things, a lot of officers were really demoralized. Do you think that officers now, despite what the caller just said they saw on South Union Street, which I agree with what the caller's sentiment was, but do you think officers now feel, is it a little less demoralized? Are they seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? I certainly think
2: so. Um, I think that there is, you know, first of all, thanks to the caller for, for those comments. You know, uh, do they know that there is public support behind them? Yes. That's why they come to work and, and continue to work. And words like yours, you know, reinforce that. But are there those who think differently? Of course. Uh, and you know, the notion of that, that banner, uh, if you look back to the original utopia from whoever it was, the 1200s, uh, you know, there, there were no police in utopia. There also wasn't property. People moved from house to house freely. There weren't locks on the doors. I mean, a perfect society may very well have that. Uh, there is no such thing as a perfect so- society, which is why Moore named it utopia. No place. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're working in the real world and trying to make certain that we keep the real world as safe and fair for everyone, everywhere as we can. Do the officers have have uh, morale I think that the officers that we currently have with us are the officers that we've got I think the the loss that we experienced over the past three years has has uh, ended for now uh, you know I, I can't predict the future but the folks that are on the team right now are on the team we're going to continue to lose people to retirement but I don't think we're going to be losing people to other opportunities or other jobs or just leaving the profession altogether as we did for three years I think we've got a core and that core is here because they feel supported because they are are a, a strong team with each other because they're focused on the mission that's in front of them and, uh, you know, I think that bodes well for Burlington and is part of that that general optimism I have about where we're going, even as I recognize the challenges that we're facing and, and in which we are still in the midst.
0: Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive.
1: Yes, good morning, Chief. You made a, mo- a comment moments ago that um, kind of piqued my interest. You 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 stated that the segment of your society that wanted to abolish the police was small. Now, that may be true. I mean, it may be small. Um, I don't know if it's as small as you think it is, but granted, it might be small. But keep in mind that small population is what occupied a park throughout an entire summer with immunity. The result is what you're living with now. So just because they're small doesn't mean they don't have a lot of influence
0: in your city and they're not going away.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a fair observation. Uh, the month that, you know, there was a whole month in which the people were in Battery Park. Uh, certainly many of those folks were self-described police abolitionists. Um, I do think that it is, however, a, a numerically small group, but you're correct. A, a perfect storm of circumstance allowed that, uh, movement to gain outsized influence and outsized, uh, impact. Uh, and that that was a whole bunch of things. It was it was the the onset of the pandemic. It was the terrible uh, crime in Minneapolis and, and the murder of George Floyd. It was you know a, a desire among people to have some kind of outlet for the things they were feeling, which were uh, a huge uh, amount of, of just uh, turmoil in the zeitgeist, as it were. Um, I still do believe that it is a small number of folks who actually believe that we could seriously exist without police. I think that's I I don't think that's a reasonable notion and i don't think and i think that most burlingtonians are reasonable and recognize that while uh you know even those who might think that that's something to be hoped for recognize it's not where we where we live in the real world
1: uh chief on i want to see how you handle a couple of issues here how the police department is told to handle the pods there obviously have been some problems there uh there's a house right next door that is uh seniors live in the mckenzie house Mm mm-hmm um, we 've seen stories on w c x et cetera about that of issues there um I was told by someone recently that police were called that someone was causing a problem um and that they were told again this is second hand from what i heard but that the they, the police told them you need to deal with the management the people who manage the pods that 's who you should be calling. How, do, how are those situations handled?
2: So, uh, you know, the people inside the pods are not actually the locus of most of this disorder. The people inside the pods are, are uh, doing as best they can and they are required to follow a number of rules by the management, which is CHT. Uh, and they do follow those rules and people are kicked out when they don't uh, Cht does remove people who can't uh, abide by the the conditions that are part of being a, a resident in the pods for those in the pods i think the pods are a nearly unmitigated good for those in the pods i think they are nearly unmitigated good and i think they're a moral obligation of a community as well uh the the challenge is what happens when people you know come towards the pods the, the people who aren't residents there who aren't following any rules who come uh, sometimes to procure or or sell or use uh, narcotics, Um, sometimes just to to, call out to somebody who's inside and and thereby cause uh, noise and problems for for nearby residents, Uh, people who are waiting for someone else and they sit on the steps of the McKenzie house. Um, you know, there was a violent incident involving a resident of the McKenzie house as a victim, but that wasn't a member the, the committer of that violence wasn't somebody in the pods. It was actually somebody in a, a residence nearby. Um, the, that said, you know, uh, we are concerned about it. What do we do? Uh, it, it's not. We we are focusing most of our day to day enforcement and police present uh, presence efforts on the downtown core. Uh, we have to maintain that that part of the city in order to to try to keep the the economic base in Burlington and also uh, to make sure that we are um, keeping our city as friendly and as open as possible for uh, for visitors for people who want to use our wonderful public spaces but i do make certain that our cso's travel by the pod uh routinely during their their shifts they go that's how they are told to go home they don't go home on battery they go home via elmwood um and check in there our csl's routinely go there and work with cht and with people it's a, it's actually a really great way to have a number of people who do get services from our community sport liaisons all located in one place makes the csl's job a little easier um but it was a pro. You know, the pods and their scale were designed for a, a situation where Burlington's homeless population was in the fifties, and now it's you know upwards of two hundred and fifty. And so, a lot of the challenges that we're seeing are not about the pods; it's about just this this influx of of people
1: who are unhoused. When would the police department tell? They get a call from a problem near the pods mm-hmm. or someone on the McKenzie property. When would might the police tell someone calling that they need to deal with? the pod management team.
2: So uh, that isn't... Uh, I- I'd have to see that individual okay. that individual case. I, I don't believe that's what we would want. Again, it's like,
1: it's, it's a secondhand sure. information I'm getting.
2: But but you know our priority response plan is clear. Uh, we are are basically when when we have few two or fewer officers available, we deal with life safety incidents. And so it depends on what the call would be from somebody in McKenzie House. Say, can you come remove this person from our stoop? I want to trespass him, but I'm scared to do so. A trespass is a priority three when we're in priority one plan. Manning. Um I'm being assaulted or there's a person who's breaking our windows and he's outside screaming and trying to get in the house. That's a priority one. We're coming for that no matter what. And we're never going to say, ask CHT to help you. Got it.
0: Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive.
3: Good morning. Uh, I want to uh, thank the chief for doing a great job in a difficult situation. And I have a simple yes or no question. Do you support uh, the safe injection site proposal?
2: So I'm going to punt on that. Uh, you know, that's a decision that's going to be made at the mayoral and city council level. Um, and I'll certainly weigh in when, when given the opportunity to do so. Frankly, I, I appreciate what you're asking, but it's more than a yes or no question, I think.
1: What's the police department's policy um, on encampments? Uh, I know there was an encampment right near Champlain Farm Store on North Avenue. Um, and there's been encampments that have popped up different places here and there. How do you handle that? So, there is a, uh, a, an elaborate
2: encampment policy that was developed with the ACLU, uh, several years ago, prior to the pandemic. Um, and it went through the, you know, the city attorney and the ACLU. It had to do with, with, uh, you know, a case involving a person that we had ejected from City Hall Park, uh, for breaking the City Hall Park rules. Uh, and the ACLU basically fought to say, you know, you can't, uh, prohibit people who break the rules from being in these public spaces. Okay. That's, that's where, uh, the city said, all right, we'll, we'll figure out how to make these rules. Camping is prohibited in, in most parts of the city. Um, but how do we actually undertake uh, evicting a person, as it were, from a camping? So closing an encampment. Um, and the, the policy is, is elaborate and it's very well understood by Lacey Smith, who is our community support supervisor. She leads the community support liaisons. Uh, and her team uh, and CSOs will go basically, it's a notification process. You go to the location, you say you cannot camp, uh, you give a reasonable amount of time for the person to be able to move, you assist the person with moving, you store property if necessary, uh, but eventually you come back and say, now's the time. Um, you know, the Sears Lane encampment is an example of one that went on, for That that's as elaborate as it ever gets. It was a huge encampment, a lot of people, very, very unsafe conditions and we gave them a lot of time uh, to address what was going on and although there were people in the community who were dissatisfied with that, the ACLU did not weigh in on that because we abided by the policy that we created with them Does at the every po-
1: step. Does the policy with the ACLU tie your hands in a lot of ways in regard to encampments? Because we hear a lot, a lot of complaints about encampments popping up all over the place.
2: I don't think it ties our hands. I think it adds additional steps to ensure that what we're doing is uh, is fair and is going to be uh, you know both lawful and something that that can therefore withstand scrutiny you know there are terrible stories in the old days in police departments here or elsewhere where you know what would you do if you found an encampment You'd, you you would know the cop would take out a knife and slash up the tent so it's not effective anymore and say you know you're not wanted here you can't camp in these parks get out of here that's not a humane way to approach this this issue um uh, that said <laughs> allowing somebody to stay indefinitely in a place that that then prevents other people from using that public space isn't acceptable either
1: because i would counter and i get what you're saying that it's not a humane way to handle it but at the same time i've seen encampments on the edge of parks where kids are playing people have walking their dogs people yeah. are playing soccer and there's defecation going on there's yeah. drug use going on I witnessed it myself yeah so it's not a that can be a not good situation I completely agree that's not a good situation I would
2: you know I, I would be loathe to see that situation uh in you know in any park um, uh, the parks team is also a deep participant in the process of of dealing with encampments that includes the urban park rangers uh, and that includes the director of, of parks and recreation um, and so you know there are a ton of city entities that put a lot of thought into this that think about these issues a lot there's a a director for ending homelessness now at the city level uh you know everyone in our country has rights everyone uh the 14th amendment applies to every single person that sets foot on the ground of this country and so providing due process to people even when they're breaking the law is uh is a key component of our democracy
0: let's go to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive you there, caller. Oh, oh I lost him. Um, so the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties uh, uh, Organization, they. Um, so if you if you didn't do the guidelines with them, they probably would have sued the city. Is that why? It, yeah?
2: I'm not certain what the mechanism would be if, yeah. if we weren't to follow through. Um, it's a, it's, you know, it, this wasn't a court enforced decision. I believe it was a memorandum of agreement between the two parties. And then I do yeah. believe that the city council adopted it. Uh, and so it is now, it does have the force of, uh, of, of that imprimatur. Right. Uh, in so city. it's
0: not, it's not just a, an, a, you know, an agreement by the ACLU to dictate how Burlington Police operate.
1: And yes, it's okay. it's morning. it was
0: agreed upon. Okay,
1: we're almost out of time, Chief. Uh, I want to just get a quick comment from you on this, if we can. um Any cons- there's a public safety resolution that's been percolating through the public safety committee. Have you been following that? Do you have concerns about it? And and we're almost out of time.
2: uh I got an email from Council President Paul at three fifty this morning with a copy of it.
1: I've not read it. Okay. Yet. Have you heard anything about it in the news? It's been.
2: I mean, I, I've seen little pieces of it here and there. There are a couple different things that are going on. There's, there's stuff out of the Public Safety Committee. There's stuff out of the Joint Committee of the Charter Change, uh, and Ordinance Committees. Uh, and then there's stuff that this, that the Police Commission has been talking about too. To be completely honest, they're all, I'm just sort of waiting to see final versions of them in order to start to say, this is what we're looking, you know, this is how we wish to, to make so our
1: input known. You will be weighing in at some point. I, I hope to have that opportunity, yeah. All right. Burlington Police Chief John Merritt, as
0: always, thanks for being on The Morning Drive. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming in. It's always good. And tomorrow's and Stuff Friday right here on The Morning Drive. It's going to be a good day, isn't it, Kurt? It is. is. We're going to share. Our buddy Sharon's going to be back with us. And we're going to hear from Craig Breslow, World
1: Series pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, going to talk about the big Strike 3 Foundation Wiffleball tournament.
0: Very good. And we'll give you another chance to win $1,000 with Morning Drive money. You're only going to hear it here on News Talk WVMT Burlington. ABC News. I'm Derek Dennis. A new Speaker of the House could be named any day now after Kevin McCarthy's ouster and there's added urgency as another potential government shutdown is just weeks away.
2: Congress has just over 40 days to reach a deal and prevent a shutdown.